You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to see you all, to finally be back together again. Um, I don't know if it feels weird to anybody. Does it feel just a little weird? I came out first service, the stage is a different color. I wasn't ready for that. Um, We're taking communion out of tiny little like McDonald's to-go cups, and it tastes awful, but uh, it's what we got right now. Um, So it's good to be together this morning. I've been looking forward to it. I hope you have too. And I want to just dive in. Let's dive in this morning. Open your scriptures if you've got them to Revelation chapter 4, which is big, right? We're really diving in. We're in Revelation. End of the book, Revelation chapter 4, we get this vision from the disciple John. And here's what he says. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible. He says, after this I looked. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. These are precious stones that are kind of like orangish and red in color. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created." whole chapter there of Revelation 4, this vision that John gets of heaven, of the throne room of God, it's a vision not of the future, it's a vision of right now what is happening in the realm of glory with Jesus. And right here we see like a lot of weird things happening, right? There's these four heavenly creatures that have eyes all over them and wings and different faces, which is just weird. And then also around the throne, there are 24 other thrones with 24 elders seated on the thrones. And you can read and find theologians and experts who've tried to say like who they think those 24 elders might be. Maybe it's the 12 Old Testament tribes and the 12 New Testament disciples on these thrones. But the reality is like, we really just don't know. We don't know all this vision means, who these people are, what it might represent. But what we do know is that these 24 elders are very esteemed because they're clothed like royalty in white robes and they have crowns of gold on their heads, which then they take off and throw before the throne. 
which I don't know if you remember, the last time we were together in this room, we enacted that. We had paper crowns, if you remember, and we had written on those crowns, and then we came up, we had a throne on the stage, and we put those crowns before the throne. That was the last time we were here together. And I remember this because for weeks, like, we just were all kind of bummed out that we weren't having church together, and the crowns just stayed up here. And we knew, like, someday somebody's going to have to sweep up these crowns, like, and clean up and all. But I remember that, and so we, we left. That was the last time we gathered together here. And today we talk about the same thing right here, this weird heavenly vision that John gets. And so in this chapter... What we get is an answer to every question we could ask about the spiritual discipline of our focus this morning, and that is worship. We, can, we get the answer to every question we could ask in Revelation chapter 4 about worship. We get the question of, of what worship is, is answered, of, of why we should worship, of how we worship, who we should worship. All of these things are answered in, in Revelation chapter 4. And worship is what we're focusing on this morning as we've been going through spiritual disciplines. As everything kind of like changed up, we asked the question, okay, what can we do to help us since we can't have church together as a body like usual, what can we do to focus on our individual faith? And so we talked about this idea of connecting together, connecting with God while we're at a distance from one another. How do we do that? Well, we do that through praying, through reading the Bible, through spiritual disciplines like fasting, through simplicity and giving, through treating your body as a temple, all of these things we talked about. And today we talk about worship, another spiritual discipline that like the other ones is great on your own, but also is really exciting when we get to celebrate it together. And so as we go through the concept of worship this morning, we're gonna just ask those questions. First, what is worship? We see right here the example of worship in Revelation chapter four. Worship is giving your attention and adoration to something else. In this instance, it's to God, but we see all over our culture instances where it's to other things, right? We might worship an athlete. We might worship a sports team. We might worship a, a celebrity or like a thing, like worship something we just give our attention to a ton, like your lawn. Anybody out here just really worried about your lawn? Not me so much. Maybe I should be more. We know what worship is. We see here in Revelation 4 that worship is giving our attention and our adoration to Jesus, to God. That's what worship is. How do we worship? We see here what the elders and the angelic beings do. They fall before the throne, they take off their crowns, and they give it to Jesus. When do we worship? We see all of these creatures are constantly worshiping. Day and night, unceasingly, they're worshiping. And then we ask this question, why do we worship? They say it in their song, because Jesus is worthy. Because God is holy. So that's the answers to the questions that I want to talk about just in this one chapter of Revelation 4. But if we can this morning, and you can keep camping out in Revelation, we'll come back to there. But if we can, I want to take a glimpse of worship throughout the whole Bible and really unpack like Old Testament and New Testament what worship is. And so we're going to go through a bunch of verses. If you want to jot down references, you may not even want to try and keep up with me and, and flipping pages. But we're going to ask this question, what is worship? What does the Bible portray worship as? And here is why. Because I think we sometimes, in, in 2020, we've gotten a narrow perspective of what worship is. Today, when people talk about worship, often they just mean like their favorite worship band. Or they talk about moments like we've just had where we get a band together and turn lights down low and we all sing praises and songs. 
If you were to ask somebody, like, what is worship to you? They might answer, like, a 2020 kind of Christian might answer, like, oh, worship is when, like, that right song comes on. And just, you, like, feel it, you know? Like, and just, and then that one word that really just connects you, and you just, like, you're there. You just feel it, and that's worship. I can do the same thing to an Otis Redding song, okay? So, like, we have to broaden out what our concept of worship is. It has to be more than just songs and music. So I want to look throughout the whole Bible, this idea of what is worship this morning. So go with me or or follow along with me if you can to look at worship. And here's just the secret of how I wrote this sermon. I went to an app, a concordance app, uh, BibleGateway.com, typed in the word worship and looked at everywhere worship came up in the Bible, and now I'm preaching it. You could do it too, okay? You could be up here doing the same thing. That's all we're doing this morning, just getting a review of all that stuff. So if we started with uh, what worship is or how to worship, I'm sorry, if we start with how to worship, we see it in Genesis chapter 24. Isaac has been looking for a wife. His servant has gone out and has finally met Isaac's wife, Rebecca. And on meeting Rebecca, he bowed down and worshiped the Lord. That's Genesis 24. Then we see Moses. Moses tells Israel while they're in captivity in Egypt that God has heard their cries, that God is gonna free them. And it says in Exodus 4.31, when they heard that, the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. Then later on at Mount Sinai, when God appears to Moses on the mountain, gives them the 10 commandments, it says that Moses worshiped and bowed down. Later on, we see Joshua Joshua, who's about to lead Israel into the promised land, the commander of the Lord's army appears to Joshua. And it's one of these weird situations where it's like, is it an angel? Is it God himself? How does this work? But it tells us that Joshua bowed down and worshiped before him. In 2 Chronicles, we have a king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. Great name, Jehoshaphat. Three armies are marching against Judah. Jehoshaphat doesn't know what to do. They gather in the whole world together, or not the whole world, they gather in the whole nation of Judah together, and it says the whole nation as one, they bowed down and they worshiped. Hezekiah, another king in the Old Testament, we hear about him worshiping by bowing before the Lord. And then when we see in the New Testament, the wise men coming with gifts to the little boy Jesus, it says that they bowed down and they worshiped him. I don't know if you caught it, but all throughout the Bible, when the word worship is mentioned or a person is seen worshiping, it is almost always coupled with them bowing before God. Worship and bowing are synonymous. In fact, in the ancient languages that the Bible is written in, that's what these words mean. If you looked at the Greek and the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for worship is shakah. Everybody say shakah. Well, good. You guys did a good job with that. Just rolled through the room. Shakah, the word we translate as worship, means bow. And then in the Greek, it's a little more complicated. Proskuneo. Try that one. Proskuneo. Very good. Very good. Your Hebrew's a little stronger than your Greek, but you still got it. Proskuneo means to prostrate oneself, means to just lay out. So the two words we have translated in the Bible for worship literally mean to bow. So worship is so much more than music. It is bowing down before God. And and we kind of have this idea a a little bit 
and we kind of see this idea of bowing, like making ourselves less to somebody else. Whenever there's like a U.S. president or, or official that goes and visits a foreign country and then maybe meet another dignitary, we always kind of get thrown into this conversation about bows or like the talking faces on the news. We'll talk about it. Because your leader, like you don't want them bowing too deep, right? Because then it's like they're saying like, oh, this other country is better. But then you're also trying to be culturally like sensitive and all this stuff. We recognize this idea that bowing is saying, I am less. I'm physically putting myself lower than you. I am bowing before God. That is worship. Saying, I am less and you are more. Which is kind of the, the task of a Christian, isn't it? That I would be less and Jesus would be more. That's the prayer of John the Baptist, that I may decrease and he would increase. It's the task that Paul sets before us so many times talking about getting rid of the flesh and the old self, making less of me and more of Jesus that is worship. And so we bow. There's another component to worship. We go through the, the Bible and look at this. Not only do people bow, next to bowing, when we see people worshiping, we almost always see them give. So the elders, again, around the throne, they give their crowns as they bow down. The wise men at the boy Jesus, they give their gifts as they bow. They give. We see it in the offerings that are given in worship throughout the entire Old Testament, starting with Cain and Abel, they bring offerings, but then in the tabernacle, the priests bring offerings, and then at the temple, people come and they make sacrifices and offerings to God as they worship him. When we see Mary fall at the feet of Jesus, she bows, she worships him, and then she pours an expensive perfume on her feet, she gives. So if you look at this, you'll see all throughout the Bible, worship is coupled with bowing, with saying, I'm less, he is more, and giving. So practically speaking, as we try to practice worship in our lives, those are two things that I think must be present. Is that we are bowing, we are saying, I'm less, he is more, and then we're giving which are things that we try to do here at Discovery. Maybe we're not always physically bowing, though we've done that and weirder things here, right? I mean, maybe not always physically bowing. We're saying, I'm taking a time out of my week to give to God because I know that I'm not important, but God is. I'm taking some of my money to give to this ministry, to give to our family so that God can use it in our area for his will, for his good. We worship by bowing and giving. We give our time through sent to serve. So practically we worship in these ways. When we come together, we get to do this as a community, which is so much fun. But hopefully it's not stopping here, right? Hopefully our worship isn't limited to just our hour together because we've seen in this past season that we may not always get this hour together. So we have to be able to worship not just as a big group in song and singing, but as an individual, Finding ways in my day and in my life where I can bow and say, I am less, he is more, and where I can give. And so ways I think we could do that might just be on social media, us saying less, right? I'm going to say my opinion just a little bit less and maybe talk just more about God. I'm going to just put up Bible verses this week, this week rather than my political opinions to say, this is where it's at, not right here. Or maybe we find ways we can give just in our neighborhood, that neighbor that needs help with something or just that lonelier neighbor, like bringing them cookies or something like that. Maybe it's buying a meal or a coffee for a coworker just to say, like, I want to give to you just because my God gave to me. We need to find ways in our day, in our week, where we can bow and we can give as a way to show our worship to God. So we've tackled the question, what is it? We know it's giving our attention, our admiration to God. We've tackled the question, how to do it. We bow, we give. 
And so now let's look at when we do it, when we should worship. Revelation 4, 8, it tells us that the, the heavenly creatures are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Day and night, they never cease saying that. Day and night, right now, as we speak here together, they are speaking praises to God in the heavenly realm. And we see this again reflected all throughout the Bible. Abraham, as he's given the task of sacrificing his son Isaac, he tells his servant, we're going to go over here. He says, you stay here, we will go and worship. And a very stressful time, a scary time for Abraham, he worshiped. Moses and the Israelites, after they crossed the Red Sea, had been delivered out of slavery, what did they do? They stopped and they worshiped. In times of victory, we worship. We see Job, when he finds out that he has lost everything and then gets word that his children have died also. Job bows down and he worships. So in times of victory, but also in times of loss, we worship. We see David, the great king, when he learns that the child he was to have with Bathsheba has been lost, it says that he gets down and he worships. In times of sadness, we are to worship. And then if we go back to that King Jehoshaphat that I mentioned earlier, here's the nation of Judah. They find out that three armies are coming against them. I almost just used 2 Chronicles 20 like as our only passage today. Like I almost just preached that whole story this morning. That'd be like bonus reading for the week. If you just wanna have more on this topic, this week read 2 Chronicles 20. I love this story. Three armies are coming in against Judah. The whole nation gathers together to figure out what are we gonna do? They're praying together. They're fasting together. And then the king prays. Jehoshaphat stands up and he prays. And he says this right here. He says, we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. In times of uncertainty, we worship. And just as an aside, like does anybody really kind of just feel that passage today? This nation with three enemies that have joined forces coming against them. Does anybody feel that? Like that, that you maybe have some enemies you could highlight that are against you right now, whether it's just the enemy of the virus that's been around or the enemy of the changes in our life or the uncertainty of our future or something you're battling just personally in your own health or, or whatever it may be. Nationally, I think we see many things on the horizon that could tear us apart. We could see many things that are causing disunity and we could call those things our enemies and just know that we are fighting a lot. In times of uncertainty, we worship. And then as we continue, we see the disciples in the boat. They see Jesus walking across the water. They see Jesus calming the storm and it says that they fell and they worshiped. In times of uncertainty and in times of awe, we are to worship. So when are we to worship? We're to worship all the time. When it's sad, we worship. When times are difficult, we worship. When times are uncertain, we worship. In times of plenty, we worship. In times of celebration, we worship. And we do this by saying, God is more in my good times and my bad times, and I am less. And so I give to him. That is how we worship. That is when we worship. And so here's our last, or one of our last questions is, why do we worship? Let's go back to Revelation for that. Open your Bibles back to Revelation chapter five. We're gonna read half of it now, half of it later. Here's what John says as his vision continues. 
He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with eyes, with seven spirits of God that, to send out all, into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why do we worship? They tell us right there, because he is worthy. Why do we worship? Because Jesus is worthy of our worship. Because Jesus was, and he is, and he is to come. He knows our past, he's with us in our present, and in our future, he is coming back. Why do we worship? Because he came down, humbled himself, and began to walk on our dirt. He experienced our pain. He experienced our temptation. Why do we worship? Because he is worthy. Because while he was on our earth, our creator spread out his hands to have those hands pierced by nails to die a death on a cross that was a sacrifice on our behalf. Why do we worship? Because he is worthy. Because he stared down and experienced death. He looked at the gates of hell and after three days, he kicked open the doors to his own tomb, defeating death so that we could defeat it also. Why do we worship? Because he is worthy. In our good times and our bad times, Jesus is worthy. In our times of uncertainty and our times of plenty, Jesus is worthy. Why do we worship? Because it's the best thing we can do right now and it's the best thing we're gonna do later. We worship because that's what we see happening in heaven and because that's who we see in our God, someone who is worthy of our worship. So if we open back up to Revelation chapter five, I wanna ask just one more question. We did the why, the how, the what, the whatever. I wanna ask the who. Who will worship? Let's clear this up real quick. Who will worship? Chapter five, verse 13. John says, then I looked and I heard, the, heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Who will worship? The heavenly beings will worship. The people on earth and under the earth will worship. You and I, the followers of Christ, will worship, but we hear that we won't be alone. That the whole world, all of creation, will worship. Paul clears this up for us in Philippians 2, 10 and 11. He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christians will bow. Atheists will bow. Poor people and presidents will bow. We all will bow at the throne of God. Maybe not today, but it will happen someday. And so our job this morning as we have gathered together is to do just that, to bow and say, I am less and he is so much more. I am not worthy, but he is worthy and he took his time for me and so I will worship him. I will give him my song. I will give him my offering. I will give him my time and my talents. I will give him my life because he gave me so much more. This morning, we gather together to worship. And I know we have a big mix of people in this crowd. And if you're just figuring this out and asking these questions about worship for the first time, man, we've got a place for you. If you'd like to ask some more questions about what it might mean to worship Jesus, become a follower of Jesus, we've got a place for you. Talk to the people that maybe you came with or the people sitting around you or go find our prayer room in the back to be able to talk to people about what it means to be a believer of Christ, of what it means to fall before Jesus, to bow with your life to the one who gave his life for you. That's what we're here for this morning. And that's what we get to do as a crowd right now. We get to stand together. So I'm gonna invite you to your feet. As we give a song, as what we sing, we sing to him who gave so much for us, as we with our lives recognize that we are less and he is more, we come to bow before him. So this space is yours. If you need to this morning just literally bow, you can do that. If you need to kneel, you can do that. If you need to lay out, you can do that. If you need to dance around, throw up some hands, you can do that. Because we're here this morning to worship the one who created us, to worship the one who died for us, and to worship the one who we will live with forever. So for you and me, we know that someday we're all gonna bow, but right now we don't have to wait. We can bow to him right now. So let's worship in the midst of our joy. Let's worship in the midst of our pain. Let's worship right now in times of plenty and in times of loss. Let's worship in times of uncertainty because the one who we worship is worthy.